Today, I'm talking to Tim Stout of Tim Stout & Associates with Compass in Coweta and Fayette County of Georgia. That's just south of Atlanta. Tim has been an agent for just eight years, that's since about 2013. When I met Tim, it was about two years ago. He and his team already had a larger share of the market than any broker in his market. His fully leveraged, talented, and powerful team is one that he strategically built from the ground up. Today, he is selling over 400 homes a year. Before real estate, Tim worked in a juvenile detention center. He was later a professional MMA fighter. He then retired and transitioned into residential real estate. Tim, he knows pain. He has seen and faced hardships that most can't fathom. His secret? He says there's no secret other than whatever comes your way, own it. Talking to Tim, it's quickly evident he doesn't dwell on anything. He doesn't have time for it. He rises and overcomes any challenge and embraces all opportunities. Most of all, the opportunity to learn and to lead by both giving and empowering others, sharing what he has learned, leading others to lead. He is both as tough and as kind as a human can be. Today, he and I talk about how to build a fully leveraged team and that it can only be done through extreme ownership. Thanks for listening to the Jerry Metcalf podcast, where top real estate agents tell how they do it. This podcast was created for real estate agents across the country to come together, sharing ideas to take your, their, and our business to the next level. All right, everybody. It's the Jerry Metcalf podcast, where top real estate agents tell how they do it. Today on the show, we've got Tim Stout. He is from South of Atlanta. Noonan Market with Tim Stout and Associates of Compass. Tim, thanks so much for coming on the show. Good to see you. Thanks for having me. Great to see you. I listen to all your podcasts, so I'm super excited. Awesome. Well, it's about time you came on. Everybody, Tim and I are actually great friends. We met about two years ago, and I don't, from grit to getting started to systems and operations and inspiration, leading and learning, I mean, you've got it full circle. So this is interview is long overdue. Um, tell us a little bit about where your business is now. And then we're going to talk about how you got into it and how you got where you are now. Okay. The business now, I have a, a team in South Atlanta, as you mentioned, uh, in 2020, we closed 300 transactions and I have a team in East Tennessee. We closed 103 transactions, which is they're right at two years old up there, uh, two agents in sales. So a total of 403 transactions. Um, I've been in the business for a little over eight years. And we, uh, we've, since I started building the team after about two years in, we've run it almost like we're independent. We use independent uh, lead sources, independent CRMs, independent systems and procedures. We're never reliant on any, anybody's system. So if we ever have to leave a pivot, we're never, we're never stuck in the corner. Wow, so let's sum that up. You've done three, a little over 300 transactions in your market in Georgia, which is Noonan, McDonough, LaGrange. Peachtree City. 
Peachtree City. Then go into, where in Tennessee are you? East Tennessee, the Tri-Cities area. So the Tri-Cities area. Mm -hmm. In Tennessee, you guys have already done 103 transactions and you yeah. just launched there two years ago. So 430 something transactions. 403. 403 transactions in 2020. Yes. So, and you got your license in 2013. So you've accomplished all of that. You've gotten to this level in eight years. All right, so tell us a little bit about the beginnings of your career, what you were doing before and why real estate? How did you break into it? Let's start with the beginnings. Okay, great question. Uh, I was born and raised in East Tennessee. And I, uh, before I moved here, I was a, uh, I worked at a juvenile detention center, which I loved. I really loved uh, helping kids and creating that type of thing. Uh, but I was also a professional fighter. And I come to a crossroads in my life where I either had to work full time or fight for it. I was getting, I was, I was going up in the ranks and I had to make that decision. So I got an opportunity to move to Peachtree City, Georgia, to open one of the first gyms on the south side of Atlanta. And I come down here and I open gyms and I, and I begin to fight professionally full time uh, while training other fighters. And it was, it was amazing. Just, I love the idea of fighting just because the harder you work, the better you get. And I try to carry that philosophy in, in everything that I do. Awesome. The harder you work, the better you get. And you were fight. I mean, like fighting. Explain to everybody the fighting that you were doing, because this wasn't just like boxing or even wrestling. No. As, as a kid, uh, you know, I grew up uh, karate. And then after I was about 13 or 14, I started boxing. And about 18, I started fighting in tough man tournaments. And about, about 20, I was a uh, fighting in the cage, uh, mixed martial arts. And probably 21, 22, I was a professional fighter. So as a professional fighter, and is it, this is, I'm going to show my ignorance, everybody, but it's, what is it, what is the fighting, what is, is it MMA or what is it called? MMA, mixed martial arts. Yes, MMA, mixed martial arts. Like that's the fighting that everybody knows, like that is, is superior, like you can't be a wimp to do this kind of fighting. Absolutely. What, because this is so relevant, I think, to your success today, and I love this part of your story, but you went from working in juvenile centers where you're really, I mean, that's a nurturing environment you're with kids but then you're also this big fighter you know getting punched in the face punching people in the face I mean like it's give us a little bit of that dynamic of your world and what you how it made you who you are today great question uh fighting is not some people who do MMA is most of the time especially when I was coming up people didn't choose to do that it's like it's who you are uh I really enjoyed fighting. I enjoyed everything that come along with it besides hurting people. Like I never enjoyed that, but that I knew that was a consequence for what I was doing and, and getting hurt. Like I've had, you know, bones broke, orbitals broke, teeth knocked out. Like I, I've been through all of that. Uh, so that's just, that's just who I was as a person and working with the kids. That is truly who I am. Like I want to, I want to help people who can't help themselves. I'm very passionate about kids, elderly people and, uh, and dogs. That those are like my things that I really love because those are things who are very innocent. And if they are bad, it's because they're in bad situations. They've not been shown any better. And that's, that's a true passion of mine is to be able to, to do that. And, uh, and fighting was, and that fighting is who I am, but working with kids and changing people's lives is what I want to do. What a dichotomy is you on one end getting punched in the face and punching people in the face. And you said, kids, 
the elderly and dogs, because those are often the innocent who don't have as much control of their environment. And when they're not good, it's usually not by their own, on their own will, or it's, it's usually because they haven't been empowered. They haven't, they don't have the life experience and insights to make a difference. Absolutely. That's a, that's a hundred percent. So you go from fighter to, and you opened a gym. I remember a story. I don't know if you don't, and I need to leave it open for you to share it on how you kind of like, how did you discover real estate? How did you discover being an agent? How did you know you could do it? What was that transformation? I was, uh, I was fighting in Clovis, New Mexico. And uh, I ended up losing to a, to a guy, a great guy, but it's a, somebody I never should have lost to. Several years before, I lost an automobile to my arms. My arms won't extend fully, they won't bend fully. So I got called in a, in this, in a position I couldn't get out of because of this, this physical limitation. So I said, so, okay, I'm done. And I decided since I couldn't improve on that situation that I needed to retire. So I told the wife, I said, I'm retiring. And she was like, okay. She's like, what are you going to do? And I was like, I want to be in sales. She goes, why are you going to sell? I'm like, I don't know. So, uh, and we, me and her had a gym together. So we, we would teach, you know, we were literally there from, we would start with personal training class from 5 a.m. We wouldn't leave till like 9 o'clock every day like we we true entrepreneurs true small business owners and uh, i remember a group of ladies coming into the gym to take a class and they were they looked like success they smelled nice they looked nice they drove nice cars and uh, i remember them coming in and about 10 minutes seeing their work ethic i remember texting my wife i think i texted her on the blackberry and i told her i was like i'm going to sell real estate and uh, she goes, I don't know if you can. I was like, I don't think I have to. I just have to outwork everybody. And, she, and she's like, well, you'll be able to do that. Wow. And that's where it started. So you saw these women come in and they're, you know, you were like, these women had the look of success. And then they come to work out and you're like, but they don't even have half the work ethic I know to be successful. That's where I'm going, which I love that story. So, and your wife even said, I don't think you can do that. So, and I know she's an ultimate supporter, but that just kind of to put this into context for everybody, it wasn't like you were hanging out with realtors who were telling you to come and do this. You saw it, you went for it. What, what did it look like when you first, I mean, like, what was the, how did you get started? How'd you get in your first deal? And how did you take off from there? The, the reason she said I couldn't do it is I'm, I'm an introvert. I'm not a big people person. So. So that, that was her hesitation. Uh, I, I had a couple couple friends that were real estate agents. So I talked to them. So I went and I did the class and uh, went to my first brokerage. And it was a small mom and pops brokerage, uh, which I'm super thankful for starting there. because, And I showed up every day to work like it was a normal job. Like I showed up nine to five. From day one, I treated it as if it was a job and, and a business. And I would do what I thought I was supposed to do. I would watch videos, I would learn, and then I would remember pulling up a chair between the two brokers. There's two brokers at that time, it's Bobby and Kelly. And I would I would literally ask a hundred questions a day. What happens when this happens? What happens this? What happens this? So I could learn. And, and then I got in there. My first deal was a, uh, a lead that another agent in the office didn't have time to work. And I, uh, I'm like, I'll work it. And, and I, I worked at his practice and, and I still remember because I remember showing up to the house and uh, this young kid, I mean, I'm talking a 20 year old looking at a $300,000 house, which is 
which is way more than the average price point at that time in the area. And I showed him the house and he goes, I like it. You know, can you show my house to my dad tomorrow? I'm like, perfect. So I showed the house to the dad, you know, perfect. Can you show my mom tomorrow? Perfect. So and to me, I'm practicing real estate. Like I, I didn't have any thought in my head, this kid can buy. I was practicing real estate, you know, I was just going through the motions. And then after that, I was like, well, I think we need to talk to a lender. You know, if we're going to, I'm pretty sure I was going to have to show it to his grandmother and everybody else after that. But, and he goes, okay, we put him in touch with the lender and the lender called me. He goes, he goes, Tim, that boy can buy what he wants. He's got an 800 credit score and he's got enough money in the bank to, to do what he needs to do. I'm like, wow. okay. And that was the first deal. Wow. So once you did that first deal, so basically a couple of things to take away from that is you learned every successful agent we've ever interviewed on the show, which are at, you know, the highest level. I mean, you're doing 400 something deals, but you got into this business with discipline and learning. Like you literally came in this and learned everything you could. And even the first client you took, you took it as a practice to learn and turned into a deal. You have to learn before you earn. Oh, learn before you earn. So from there to from one deal less than a decade ago to 403, seven years later, how'd that happen? Leverage. Uh, I, I, like I said, the, the first, my first complete year in the business, I probably sold, I, I'm not, I used to know the numbers exactly, but it was, it was close to, it was in the thirties. So 30 transact, cause you count in units, right? Yes. Yeah. I, I do that because I don't want my team to get caught up on price points and, and everybody gets treated the same. If you're a $10 million buyer, if you're a $10,000 buyer, everybody is treated the same. So I didn't want to, that's how I kept that from being skewed. So we're, we're units. And I want, let's talk about that for a minute because on this show, a lot of people are focused on volume and I've learned a lot from you about units. Units, the focus on units is, to, is the trajectory of the momentum of doing deals and being in the business. Is that kind of some, yeah. or, that's what I've learned from you, but elaborate on that and I want to keep going, but yeah. We closed uh, a little shy of 90 million. So it's still quite a bit of volume. Um, it's the, as, as we grow as agents, say, say me and you work together, we're going to start off the entry level. But as we grow, as, as we train, as we get experience, our price point is going to go from 250 to 300. So if I can focus you on transactions, which basically means experience, it's going to naturally elevate you in your, uh, in your ability to sell higher price points. So exactly. by focusing on that, it's, it's training people up. So, and back to how you learned, you focused on learning. Your first year, you did 30-something transactions. And then take us from there. So, uh, That's the year that I hired a coach. Uh, I'd been coached my entire life. Like, I knew. I had, a, I had a boxing coach. I had a kickboxing coach, a wrestling coach, a nutrition. I had a coach for everything. And I knew there were always a way to get somewhere better and faster. And so I hired a coach. And the second year, I think I ended up doing 77 transactions. And, and that's when we decided we we're going to start building a team. And the biggest attribute in transactions, I'm sorry for interrupting you 70. I want everybody to know the story, 77 tractions or transactions yourself before yes. you leveraged. Yeah. Keep going. I don't want to. So we, right. So with, with that many transactions, uh, we're going to start building a team. And I think the biggest attribute a leader can have is not, not realizing where they're strong, but realizing where they're weak. And I knew exactly where I was weak. So the way that I built my business is I imagined it being a pizza 
So imagine we're sitting here looking at a pizza it's sitting on the floor and we have 10 slices. So I looked at the pizza and I'm like, what is my least dollar producing activity? And I'm looking at it and I'm like, okay, secretarial work, like filing stuff, office stuff. So, and we're, no matter how good you are, you're a medium pizza. Jerry Metcalf, I mean, you're awesome. You're a medium pizza. Tim Stout's a medium pizza. So what I did is I took one slice of medium out, which was the secretary work, and I slid an extra large slice in there. Uh, somebody whose that was their thing, and they improved on all my systems and procedures, and they built it. I got that going. I started looking. I said, what is the next least dollar producing activity? And I said, it's definitely contract to close. So I hired a contract to close. I slid a medium slice out, and I slid an extra large slice in. And I continued to do this. And, and two, three years ago, there was this big extra large pizza except one medium slice in there. And that medium slice was called Tim Stout. And I'm mm -hmm. like, I've got to get out. I've got to get out of the business. I have to replace myself with someone who can do this. And so I replaced myself with someone who can, uh, who can, the listing, that's the last thing I let go of, who can list better than I can. So now I'm not in the pizza. I'm the one cooking the pizza. And, and my strength now is, is coaching, managing, and being a creative marketing. Like I really, I really enjoy that. Like I, I, I do a really good job of getting people's, uh, get their attention with marketing. Lead generating. Yeah, you know, always, everybody on the team lead generates. So, ooh, good point. Everybody on the team lead generates. So you, I love that analogy. So you're 10 slices. Now, can you walk us through what all 10 slices are? Uh, I mean, probably not, but that's it's a large pizza. So I, I know it's, it's secretary work, it's, uh, it's contract to close, buyer's agent, listing management. Uh, we have listing management assistant, listing agent. And wow. yeah, and we even have a so, past client sphere of influence person now who, who does nothing but handle that for us. So wait, has to just say, say that again? Past client sphere of influence, like they, they're sending cards, they're setting events up, they're they're just doing nothing but loving on the people who who love us. So now, basically, one step at a time. You went from individual agent doing seventy-seven deals, which most people like are like, I've had enough at about. I'm, you know, we've got agents, got agents I've talked to who do less than ten deals a year. Um, and then you, but that you know, you're not as. It's funny how the bigger you get, the more agile you become. So on your end, you're talking about, you're doing 400 deals a year. You've got everything, 10 slices of your pizza allocated out and now you're fully leveraged. So your time and energy is on coaching, managing and creative marketing. <clears throat> and that coaching is the lead generation. Kind of the typical model is, oh, the leader lead generates, you're lead generating, but you're doing creative marketing to help empower your agents to do better lead generation. Yes, I, my job is to create the brand. Their job is to create the client. Oh, your job is to create the brand. Their job is to create the client. Because it's easy to it's easy to go to a fight when you're with the biggest guy on the block. Like they get to walk behind the biggest guy on the block because of the brand I created. So you being a brand new agent, you walk in and you're like, well, my name is Joe with Tim Stout Associates. And all of a sudden, brand recognition, success. They do all this stuff for the community. They're, they've been number one. Okay, you're a legitimate. You're a legitimate agent now, not I'm brand new. How many houses you sold this year, Joe? Well, my team has sold over 400 houses. Not the none. You know, we we get to. It, it gives them a cape to wear. It gives them, you know, they're they're solidified. They're 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 an expert at what they do because of the brand. 
Well, rather than having to figure out the scripts of I haven't sold any, but I'll figure it out. Mm -mm, we've sold, we, we've sold. There's a lot of power in lead. Leverage, yeah. Um, so take us through a little bit about the structure of your team. You've got agents and admin. Mm -hmm. Was that how you would segment it out? How many agents, well, go ahead. Okay, th this year we've changed it up a little bit. So we basically built another uh, wedge of it. So we have uh, myself, we, uh, Mackenzie, uh, Mackenzie Huddleston, she is the director of operations. So she, she basically, she handles the majority of the day-to-day. -day. She, she makes sure all the I's are dotted, T's are crossed. This year we hired a, a sales manager whose who's entire job, he's still in sales, but his entire job is to increase the sales of every agent and, and helps, helps hold them accountable helps with their education, helps with recruiting. And he, his, he meets with everybody one-on-one -on -one a week. And he's like, Jerry said, what, what, what are you dealing with? What can I help you with? How can we help you grow? And in that, then I have, I think we have 10 buyer's agents, uh, one listing agent, a listing manager, and a listing manager assistant, who is also the, uh, the past client uh, concierge person. Wow. Okay. So you've got, 10 buyer agents, one listing agent. So that's 11 agents. Mm -hmm. And then Most you of my have, admin are also uh, agents, but they're just not in production. So there's lots of licensed people on the team. Yeah. Like you've got a listing manager, mm -hmm. you've got a listing manager's assistant, mm -hmm. and you've got a sales manager. So there's three people in support. Now, in addition to that, how many other, do you, is that all you have an admin or that, no, you've got a, you've got more people than that on the support side. Yeah, we have a uh, coming in uh, Monday. We got a new uh, contract to close person because the contract to close person I had just got moved to director of operations. So you've got a director of operations mm -hmm. and you've got a contract to close person. Sales manager, and a sales listing manager, listing assistant. So you've got contract, uh, basically a transaction manager, a coordinator, mm -hmm. closing manager. I call it closing manager. Everybody's got a name for it. What do you call it? Contract to close person? Yeah, that's you what got I a contract to close person, director of operations, a sales manager, a listing manager, and the listing manager's assistant who also does client follow-up, yeah. ask client engagement, and they handle events and all of that stuff too. Yes. yes. So there's that's five admins. Yeah, five yes. support. Is that everybody? That's a lot. Yeah. We'll also have a content guy that helps me with videos and uh, the podcasts and, and all that stuff too. The videos, podcast. Now, is he exclusive to the team? Yes, absolutely. So then you've got your content, your marketing guy, basically, right? Yeah. I mean, you're the marketing guy, but he's the marketing guy. Does he, he operate kind of like an assistant to you, or? He, uh, I'm the visionary. He's more the implementer. Like I said, this is what I want. This is how I want it done, and he, he gets it done. And he understands your vision and how to implement it. He, he's learning every day. Like he, he gets it. He's very good at editing. He's very good at what he does, but I'm teaching him how to, how to market with video, how to market with content, not just create it. So it's, so it's, 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 a, it's a hurdle for him because I, I think like a marketer and, uh, and he's, I'm teaching him to think like one. So I'm going to run through one more time because everybody is so fascinated with team setups and structure and how they operate. 11 agents, 10 of them are buyer agents, one is a listing agent. On that, you don't go to listing appointments. Very rare. If I go to a listing appointment, it's because of someone who sends me multiple pieces of business a year. Uh, 
but the, the way that our listing is set up, my listing agent, when they go, they're just bringing paperwork signed. Then the management team handles it from there. Like wow. it's, yeah, it's a, like our, our listing man, our agent is just a closer. That's all he does. And then our, our management team is the, the lovers, the ones who loves on them. It makes it, they, they get reports twice a week. They get phone calls twice a week. That's the one who handles all that. And who makes those phone calls? The listing manager? Yes. So basically the listing agent just goes to the listing appointment, does the presentation or gives the paperwork, answers questions in person in the house, sees the house, takes notes on the house. Yeah. And then the listing manager is behind the scenes to implement everything along with the listing manager assistant. And then you've got the sales manager who's overseeing all of the agents. Is that all buyer's agent and the listing all the buyer's agent? agents? Just the buyer's agents. Cause they're the ones that are really making the calls, generating the leads. And then you've got, that's three, everybody. I do have three ISAs too. You do what? Three ISAs. What's the ISA? Inside sales. They're, they call all day. Oh God. So there's, there's nine now. Yeah. Okay. So three ISAs. So we've got six supports plus three more ISAs plus 10 buyer's agents plus one listing agent. Yes. Ha one more time for everybody to get this. Sales manager. Listing manager, listing manager's assistant, contract to close, person handling all the contracts to close, your director of operations, then you've got your content guy doing media and three inside salespeople. Director of operations, what do they do? She handled right now, she's doing a lot of contracts because we've, we've not replaced that position yet, but she handles the day to day. She makes sure every system is, is tight. Every system is being redone. Everything is being improved and implemented. And she helps with accountability. Uh, she helps with community relations. She helps with people. Everybody's always wanting to come into the office and meet with us. So she screens that she makes that happen. Uh, she helps with, lead routing and every, I mean, she's, she does everything that the, the, that I used to do. She handles all of it, except the content creating and the coaching, but yeah, wow. she, okay. but she was one of my first hires too. So she's, she's been with me for a long time. Wow. So she understands how everything operates, how to bring in leads, how to screen people for appointments and all of that good stuff. She understands how I want it operated. Yeah. Yeah. She, so, right. so, which is, which is the good thing because she's, I don't like hiring experienced agents for that reason. I don't want anybody having an idea of how they think it should work. I want, I, I'd rather mold them because ever all agents have bad habits. I'd rather start them clean. This is how it works. So they never get the idea that, oh, I get to go with weights for lunch. I get to, you know, I get to go on this. It's like, no, no, we work. This is how this happens. So they never pick up the bad habits. So because my, my goal as a leader is to make sure they hit every one of their goals. Yeah. And, the more bad habits they have, the less likely they're going to get the goals, which means I fail as a, as a person, and I don't like that. So I try to eliminate all of that. So in short, you create an environment through support of accountability for your buyer's agents, for everybody. But I think the agents, real estate agents, we're the free contractors, do what we want, when we want, just kind of the mindset. That's fine. Well, it may not be fine, but but it's a it's a, an environment of accountability because you have a really really high success rate of agents coming in at nothing, and from zero you're closing thirty plus deals, or you know it makes a lot more sense. We talked about to really be closing fifteen to twenty deals per agent, but they're going from nothing to twenty deals a year. 
with no experience because you create an environment of operate systems that are operating well and accountability to agents. Our onboarding program, when they come in, it's like a three-week agent success boot camp. And when they come out, they can't get any leads until they're there for that, that length of time. So when they've accomplished those three weeks, then they turn on lead. And okay, so had- you broke up a minute. Wait, say that again. Maybe lean in because you, so the onboarding, you said for every agent, you've got onboarding. So tell us what that looks like. The three-week agent success boot camp. So what cool. we- Three-week agent success boot camp. Okay. So we bring them through basically what it means to be on Tim Stoughton Associates, like what we stand for, what we believe in, what we're trying to do beyond real estate sales. And then we teach them how we want them to handle the clients, how they handle objections, what they need to say, uh, scripts, dialogues, mindset. And we just grow them as an agent in the end of the three weeks. That's when they start receiving the leads. If sometimes we'll push them, we'll push them, make them go through certain courses again. But that that gets them to to where we're we're comfortable with them handling our leads, because everybody wants to say, well, I get this ROI on the lead source, but what they what they're not looking at is there's a cost of sale that they're losing out on. If Jerry Metcalf is on my team, she closes at ten percent. If I'm giving the same leads to somebody closing six percent, which is still good, but I'm still losing four percent. That that is a big cost. So people, so we got to make sure everybody's ready to run, everybody's ready to succeed. And that training can really, really helps that. So the three, the three-week agent success boot camp, that's brilliant. They the requirement is do they come into the office every day? For, I mean, how many hours? How do they nine to noon? Everybody to- is in the office from nine to noon for either training or to be able to receive leads. I mean, sometimes you know they're independent contractors, they don't have to come in, but they will not receive leads if they do not. Brilliant. Yeah. Agent Success Bootcamp, they're learning in there just to repeat how to overcome objections, how to listen, what to say, how to negotiate, how to handle leads. Give us a little bit of what the agent kind of, how do you make sure, is this something that you wrote this workshop and then you? It's, it's then, a lot of my philosophy and ideas, but uh, I have, I have one, of the, one of our agents who helps leads it and she's a very nurturing, caring person. And she helps that a lot. It's because I'm, I come across as if I'm not nurturing and caring, even though I am, but I am just a little harsher. Like I'm the, I'm the dad who loves you, but I'm going to, I'm going to spank you. Like I'm that guy. And uh, right. she, she's really soft and, and she loves them and she, she carries on. So it's, it's a lot of my philosophies, but she's able to break it down to where, where they want to absorb it a little better. And that's the sales manager. I'm assuming that does that. No, no, the, he's, he's responsible after their three weeks of boot camp. Okay, so which person does is that the director of ops or she she's the uh, she's the onboarding she she's also an agent she does the onboarding like a mentor almost. Wow. Okay. Great. So when they do the ten weeks every day, they're in class for fifteen days for three weeks. Thank you. Sorry, three weeks for fifteen days. Three. What is that? Three hours a day. They're working on three weeks. Three. The sorry, y'all. Three agent. The success bootcamp, three-week agent success bootcamp. Yeah, the first the first week is like who we are, why, why we believe. Because I'm not going to hire an agent who can just sell. I want an agent who wants to do better in the community, who wants to grow something for their self, their family, the business, and the community. Like if I was to hire somebody who could come in, I know could close 100 deals, but they didn't fit, I don't want them. I, yeah. I, 
I want to create a culture. Like, like I was talking before we started, culture is created on purpose or on accident. And I've got to be purposeful. Every person I hire, everything that I coach them and everything that I tell them to be able to get the result that the team wants and deserves. So week two. Week two, we, we get into more of, of this. This is how we use this CRM. This is how we use this system. This is what happens when you get it under contract. This is how you use dot loop. This the training of the systems. And then week three, we get into the, the technical, the, the, the techniques of this is scripts and dialogues. This is why we handle objections. This is the sales skills that we have to listen. We have to overcome. And basically we, we just train them on mindset because so many agents, they want to quit the first time they hear no. And it's like, you're not helping your client if you do that. Because when me and you walk into a store, if we walk in Nordstrom, the person's going to look at us and be like, hey, can I help you? No, we're just looking. And, and we're there to buy a suit. Mm -hmm. First handle, handle objections, like stay away. I, feel, I don't feel safe with you. So we have to teach them to add, uh, add value and then re-engage. And then like, well, actually, I'm looking for a 3-2. And then we get yeah. that conversation going. What's well, amazing how when you add value, I've had people, if you just don't, if you're not afraid of that, they'll come back, they come to you. Yeah. Now, you talked a lot about before we were recording, creating an environment where clients come to you. Love yeah. that. We, uh, we, we do that one time. We, I mean, we handle everybody like the white glove service. We want every, we treat everybody like they're our grandmother. We want everybody, to, yeah. we either get a five-star review or we get a zero review. Uh, that's one way. We do a lot for the community. Uh, we do a lot for our law enforcement. We, we feed the police three or four times a year. I teach a police-only jiu-jitsu class on Wednesday mornings. Just police. It's free. They come in and I help them with, uh, the, you know, the physical part of the job that they, they hope they never have to use, but, but I need them prepared when they do. We do food, food supplies for, for, for needy kids. We do backpacks, school supplies, uh, every Christmas, the Foster Society, where I'm from, they call and they're like, hey, Tim, you know, we're, they'll call and they're like, we're this short on our goal. And I'm like, you know, put in an Amazon list and, and send me the list and I'll, I'll buy everything that's left. And it's not, it's not some big grand amount, but it's, you know, it's 1500 bucks. It's, it's, it's a lot. So, and we're able to do that. And people see that we do that. And, and people want to work with us because we they know we give back. That's amazing. Well, you give back and, you know, aligning with what you said the first thing you start in the three-week program for agents is you know is who we are right give them a sense of who we are who am i what i have to offer it's not just about coming to this business for what i can get absolutely and if if, it, if they're in it for them and and, and they're in the interview if i hear a lot of these eyes i want to do this because or you know it's just there's usually not a fit and those are the best salespeople, I'm not gonna lie, but I don't need a transaction-based salesperson. I need a relationship-based salesperson. There's no reason for me to give you a lead that when they sell in three years, they sell with Joe down the road. Mm -hmm. like, we need to be getting that call back. And we really focus on, on who, we're, who we're hiring in the beginning. Is it gonna be a problem in two years? And if it is, we're not gonna hire you. Here's a question for you. you know, in our business, there are a lot of people, there's a lot of focus on the agent, the agent, the agent, the agent. And I find it interesting because, you know, Steve Jobs himself said great things come from a team of, I always add the word great people, but you get great things to, to really, you know, what's interesting is on the high end, I'd love to talk, love talking to you about this and is 
as the house gets more expensive, there's more demand for what needs to be delivered for that sale to happen. You've got a lot, you've got a lot of focus on units. However, you've got a lot of people bringing in a lot of strengths to deliver at such a high level that you've quickly gotten up to 400 transactions a year. What do you think the difference is for a client? And I say this not, I'm asking for the agent because that's our audience and who's listening, but I think it's important for the client and the agent What's the difference in having a team deliver and having just one agent deliver on that end? What's the experience of the client? Any, well, it's a client, uh, an individual agent. If you're having to work every aspect of the business, you cannot give somebody hundred percent, not in bringing new business, not in continue to prospect, not in continue to, to work clients, past clients. You can't do that. Everybody it's, it's like Jerry Metcalf is, the, is a great, great baseball player. I'm going to bring you on, let you play the Atlanta Braves. The Atlanta Braves is great. You may be better than all of them individually, but we have someone who just catches the ball, who just pitches the ball, who just plays first base, who just plays outfield. So that allows us to create specialists. It's like if, if you have 100% of your brain and I, I feed you 50% of listings and 50% of buyers, you can't be 100% of anything. So I teach you to be a ninja on exactly what I need you to do because of who you are. It's not what I want. You, if you come in as a square peg, I'm not going to stick you in a round hole. I'm going to find a square peg because I hire people. I don't hire positions. And then I create that around you. So you, you can win the most, but I've got, I can't dilute who you are. And some people may graduate to be able to do more than one thing, but it's because you've earned it. Not because I've just decided you need to do that. It's, it's complete specialist mentality and it really helps. You said, I hire people. So it's an interesting dichotomy. And you said something else really important about earning things, but I hire people, not positions. So you've got a team with very specific positions to fulfill, but you do hire people. Absolutely. And it's, and we, we did it like last year. I was, I was hiring this kid, a young kid uh, who wasn't licensed yet. And, and he was getting through it. And you could tell he had some reservations, but he's a good, and he's going to be a slayer. Like he's going to get it. And, but I know what he needs. He needs experience. So I'm like, here's what I'm going to do. And then I created an ISA position for him because that's how it started. Right, that's inside sales, by the way, yes. right? Inside sales, yeah. Someone who just does nothing but call all day. And mm -hmm. he can work some for a month. Old leads, old and cold. Wow. I'm calling warm lead. Old and cold. And he's going to be uh, probably in the next month. He'll he'll be he'll be selling for me. And if he can do that with old and cold leads, he's going to crush it with new leads. So let's talk about the inside sales people for a minute. You have so you've got this three week boot camp for agents. Do how many of them start in inside sales? What's the difference? Is inside sales an entry level to get into buyer agents, or is the, that a separate role completely? Great question. The, the inside sales is a, is a new position. It's been going about six months and I'm hiring people who want to be an agent, who have everything it takes to be an agent or they in sales, they're already agents, but they either want to, uh, they, they're afraid of leaving sure money is one thing like, cause they're young. So that's, that's a hire. If they're scared of the sure money or they need they need a level of entry. Some, they need a level of entry. If things are easy, people don't, don't appreciate it. Yeah. Sometimes we start them here to bring in, to be like, okay, now I really appreciate this position. And as agents, the 90% of your battle is on the phone because everybody's, every agent has ever told me, 
Well, if I'm face to face, I can close them. Everybody on earth can do that. It's called rapport. If you can, if you can build a little bit of rapport, you can close people face to face, but the true talent is getting them on the phone and getting them face to face. And the ISAs are going to come in with, I mean, they're making 1300 calls a week. So they're going to be able to call. 1300 a week. Okay. How do you find 1300 phone numbers to call a week for three? That's, that's, let's just do the math real quick. 1300 times three, that is 4,000 calls a week, 3,900 calls a week times four. That's like basically about 15, 16,000 calls. The, a month. Probably 8% answer the phone. And uh, so what we'll do is we'll, I'll start with prospect. I call around. Open lines and we'll call around new oh, wait, you went, you went out for a minute. You went out just for a minute. Say that again. So 16,000 a month. And you were talking about how you do the 16 calls, 8%. You were giving us percentages. So go ahead. Yeah, I'll probably around 8% actually answer the phone. And okay. what we circle prospect is how we're able to get that amount of leads. We, uh, we call around open houses. We call around new listings. We, uh, we call neighborhoods where we have buyers looking. One reason we're able to excel is we sell a lot of off-market properties because we're actively calling them. Like I have three buyers that who wants to buy an ABC subdivision. Are you interested in selling? And, and we really do. Like we, we have buyers. Like it's just not a sales pitch. Like we actually have buyers and we will start calling around there. That's a, so important. What you just said is, is a lot of people come into this business thinking like, I'm just going to make calls until I just somebody says, yes, you're by you, you're, you're pursuing business and delivering business all in the, all in one. When you bring in business, you cultivate deals by the demand of your clients that are already existing. So you've got existing clients who need properties. We have a lack of inventory right now, by the way. So you're having your inside sales crew do activities that are totally accountable because your buyer's agents are out showing and meeting people. You've got people on the phone dialing, finding out, okay, which properties are actually available who might be willing to sell. And how do you, on the inside sales people, do you have a training program for them? Well, we do. Uh, and our inside salespeople are the ones who trains the new agents when it comes to times of scripts and dialogues. Okay. So we, we empower a, you know, a 21 year old kid to do that. So it's, it's, it's pretty crazy, but we, uh, the first one I trained, like I trained exactly how I wanted him to handle things, the scripts I wanted him. I even had him write his own scripts like for weeks. And, uh, and now he's the one who trains the rest of them and he's held accountable to their success. And so it's like, a, I trained one, so I don't have to train him again. So he continues to train them. So it's, it's leveraging my time because my best use of time is, is creating content, which, which, which builds brand, which builds business. And, and right now, his best use of time is creating other ISAs when it's time. So three is all we're going to have, and we're going to graduate them as we go, but he'll be the one who continues to train them. So something you said is basically you're a leader, but you're a leader creating leaders, creating leaders. Absolutely. You, you mentioned a Steve Jobs quote a minute ago, but he also quoted, I don't, I don't hire the smartest people in the world to tell them how to work. I hire the smartest people in the world for them to tell me how to work. And everybody that's put in a position or in that position because they're better than I am at it. And, and I 100% believe it. And I, let, I cast vision. I let them know what I expect and what I want. And I 100% expect them to do that exactly like I said it. But I don't micromanage them. I let them work. So when you're inside salespeople, how do you compensate them? Is it hourly? Is it by how many leads they convert? Is it a combination? Combination. Yeah. So it's, this is, you know, and is it by the call or for how much time? No, no. Uh, I, I, I reward for what I want. Re I reward for what I want repeated. I want, I want closings repeated. 
So they get paid hourly and then they get paid a bonus for, uh, for any deal that they cultivated that closed. Wow. So you work for what you want repeated. You work for a lot of people will compensate for engaging a listing appointment, which you don't necessarily want listing appointments. You want closings. You want listings to get closings. Exactly. Right. People's you hourly and then bonus at the closing. Yes. Okay. But you were going to say something. Go ahead. Uh, People have got to, their, their KPIs, their key performing indicators. People have to track exactly what they want. And you know, if I'm if I'm if I'm rewarding people for listing appointments, I mean, what's what's it to me just to convince people to to let me come sit in your living room? Like that's a bad use of my time. So I want people who are uh, who are screened, who I know they have a good chance of wanting to sell, and I want to be able to come and add value and let them see that even if they sell in a year from now, they see wow, Tim Stout Associates. They bring value. They care about my result and they want to see me win. It's not like Cutco knives. You know, you just try to get in somebody's room to sit there and talk to them. So you get paid for it. And it's like, that's not how this works. No, refreshing. Exactly. Exactly. All right. This whole model of business that you've got, how did you figure this out? This is pretty in involved, but very efficient and productive. Uh, uh, I mean, trial and error. I, mean, I read a lot of books. I read 50 to 60 books a year, uh, podcasts. I study. I have I have great code. I've had David Kesey. I've coached with him for almost six, seven years now. Like since in the beginning, I started with him and he's helped uh, a lot of it. it was when I was with Keller Williams. It's I've just took what's worked for, for me and built it. But one thing that's allowed me to build like I am is that we said earlier, I realized where I was weak. So I hired around that. Let's talk about that for a minute, because a lot of people will say, you know, focus on your strengths, 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 strengths. And, uh, you know, you're not trying to overcome your weakness. You are, but in a way of knowing what they are to fulfill it. Because if you ignore your weaknesses, that's really where stuff can fall through the cracks. So, you know, your weakness. And then once you identify your weakness, give us an example of identifying your weakness and how you leverage for that. Okay. Uh, me as a person, I am a, an extremely go-getter. I, I am looking for next month. Like that's what I'm looking for. You can't build a business looking at next month. I've got to be looking at the next year, next three years, next five years. So what I've did is when I hired McKenzie, which is my director of operation, uh, she's the detail person. I'm like, this is where I want to go. This is what I want to do. I'm going to go here. I'm going to go here. She is always keeping me aligned for the, for the big goal going ahead. She handles the details. She makes sure I'm, I'm within the guidelines that I've set for myself. And, uh, and she, she controls all the little small details. Every I's dotted, every T's crossed, like the ball don't get dropped. She handles the things that I don't even want to say I don't want to, but I'm incapable of handling. Like details are not my thing. I'm, I'm, the, I'm the get it done guy. And to sum it up too, as a director of operations, this is the level of production you want. You've already got a closing manager, you've got a listing manager, but I would imagine a lot of her job is making sure that closing manager and listing manager are delivering on their jobs and dotting their eyes. It's accountability. Is that? Creating systems. She's, uh, I've, I've sat in groups and masterminds of people saying, you need a contract to close coordinator for every 50 deals. She did 300 deals last year and helped me run the business by herself. So she understands systems and procedures oh. like no other. So her job, while that I'm freeing her time up, is to create those systems and procedures for every every part of the uh, the organization. So everything runs smooth. 
impressive. One closing uh, systems and procedures is what keeps your business. Salespeople will come and go. I am a very, very strong uh, mindset of admin. Administration is the business. Salespeople are what, what makes the business run. But you got to focus on your business before the business can run. So I'm a very big admin heavy because worst case scenario, I go back into sales and kill it. And I have all the support. You exactly. What's foundation? you got to have the foundation. Absolutely. Great analogy. Absolutely. Foundation. The people that the, 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 the admin are, is the tool to do business. You've got to have that tool first. And then you, then you bring the best people possible in, but if they're all gone, you still, you, yeah, I mean, that's brilliant. It's a great, I think so many people don't see it that way and think of it that way. A lot um, of people build the business they want, not, not, they don't understand business. They like, I'm going to hire an ISA because I don't like calling people. I don't like, I don't like talking to people. I want to do this. I'm too busy for buyers. I want to do this. And what they don't realize is it's not the least, what you need to focus on your least dollar producing activities and you need to get them out of the way. I didn't hire an ISA until I had 10 buyers agents running as fast as they can. And I still got leads coming in. Yeah. So I help, I help that the ISAs cut down the time. So my buyers agents are doing what they do best, which is showing homes. So I leverage their time because all of my agents, it's really important that I don't burn them out, that they hit their goals, but they still have a life. They still get to go to their kids' ball games. They still get to go on long weekends, but I've got to create leverage for them as well to make sure that I have that. Because an agent who loves me is agent's not going to leave me. So I've got to create that with them. Awesome. And quick question on that. When you've got buyer's agents, you want them to be able to have time off, have long weekends, but you've got a buyer lead coming in, or you've got a buyer who wants to come in town this weekend and they've already planned a trip somewhere this weekend. How do you handle that internally? Or they handle that? Absolutely. We have a, uh, a Slack channel and I'm like, Hey guys, uh, I'm going out of town this weekend and I have three buyers who need to be a house who can help me. And I have four to five agents every time. Like I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it because they know in three weeks, they're going to be on vacation and they're going to have to ask the same question. And it's like, I'm going to show Joe's, Joe's lead. Joe's going to get the contract. And it's just, it's just how it works. Now, it's if you are not a team player of wanting to truly help everybody, you're, it's not a fit for you. Well, and I would imagine you creating culture and in, in, in the team coming in and play and help picking up for one another. That's an example for you is the one who passing or whoever's passing out the leads. Is it you to you that delegates the leads or who's delegating the leads now? Director uh, of operations? I get it around Robin unless they come in directly to me. Then I match right. my, uh, my personalities. Right. So you, they're going to, the more they get involved and, and, and contribute, the more they're going to get back out of the team. And they know, it sounds like they know that. This year we had to, uh, we, we lost several who wasn't a fit for the team. And now our team is stronger than it's ever been. And it's, it's, it's a great place to come to work. It's like, because used to, we'd kill the sales, but now we come and kill the sales. And it's like, I enjoy this place. Like, I love everybody in this building. You hire people, not positions. Absolutely. However, don't mistake that for not having the positions in place so that the right people can deliver at the highest level possible. Absolutely. And, and we do fire people like we don't like to, but it's, if I, if, if I'm hiring Joe and I give Joe a set of expectations and Joe can't reach them, Joe didn't deliver. He fired himself. And so that has to happen, but we have the talks. I'm like, okay, Joe, you know, you said you're going to do this. You're not going to be able to do this. What do you think we should do? And, and all the time they're stricter than I would be, 
probation, 30 day probation. Okay, what should get accomplished in 30 days? They'll tell you, like, I think it's a great idea. 30 days, you're like, Joe, you didn't hit that again. What needs to happen? I think yeah. I need to be fired. Say, wow. I think that's a great idea. Now that's happened twice and sitting, you know, my eight years running the business, but it's like, I think that's a great idea. It's like, well, what can I do to help you in your next role? And then, yeah. then I help them. Well, you're giving, you empower them. They're making the decisions and they're holding themselves accountable. Accountability is putting people in a position to hold themselves accountable is what you basically just said. 100%. Accountability is if you can't hold yourself accountable, you won't let nobody else hold you accountable. Wow. And, and giving clear, concise, would you give us an example? And then I'm going to go into leading and learning because um, you're passionate about leading and learning. Well, we're talking about leading already and learning, but dig into that for a second. But on holding agents accountable, obviously, you know, you've got these very specific roles. Do you have an outline list of, hey, as a buyer's agent, you were accountable to ABC. As a listing manager, you're accountable to this list of things. Or how do you, how do you keep a consistent accountability? Each agent needs to make at least 125 calls uh, a week and different calls. Like I can't call Jerry 15 times. Like it's gonna be 125 calls. And uh, you're, you're held accountable to about two closings a month. Now that's, that's the minimum. And uh, in the listing agents, like we have a whole checklist. When a listing lead comes in, this happens. When it goes in contract, this happens. Like there's, I have guidelines like, that happen for every step of the business, which is what a procedure is. Yeah. And so everybody knows exactly what to do. There's no question. Anytime there's a question, I'll run my business with the, with the saying, there's no gray area. It's black or white. It's right or wrong. No matter which side you're on or no matter how close you are, you're, you're black or you're white. Like there's no gray. Once it's gray, that's the muddy. If I let Jerry come in at 930 because I just like her, that tells somebody else they can come in at 930. And now there's a gray okay. area. So I've got a clear. And you owe that to them and yourself. So you also, you're holding a people, you're holding them accountable to actions. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's really what it comes to. And if they do the actions, the two closings a month are going to happen. Absolutely. Every, uh, every business has KPIs, the key performing indicators that if this is met, this is the result. And so that tells me one of two things. So when I'm tracking everything that you're doing, say you're getting a, uh, you're getting a hundred leads on the phone, but you're only getting two appointments. This tells me that you have not been trained well enough. This is me. This is my extreme ownership that you have not been trained well enough on the phone. But if you're getting 50 appointments and no under contracts, this tells me that I didn't train you well enough to face to face. So it now it gives me an action plan to, to make you a better agent and put you in a better, a better seat for success going forward, because now I know where to train you. If I didn't track every KPI that you had, I wouldn't know that. So it allows me to learn what you need. What system do you use for um, tracking their productivity? Like, how do you know they make the calls? How do you know? Boomtown. Okay. Yeah. They've got to, uh, they've got to track them with every call they do. And if they do any circle prospecting, we use Mojo. And Boomtown is not inexpensive, by the way, but it's very involved. Well, I mean, it's, if it, if it saves you three deals a, a year, it pays for itself. Yeah. And now yeah. Mo Mojo, what is Mojo? I know I know of Mojo, but what is Mojo? Mojo is like a dollar, like a triple dollar that you can pull. Oh, that's right. Um, Okay, and what does it get? Does do you give it the phone numbers, or does it have the phone numbers? Uh, you pull the phone numbers. Like I, I can pay for expireds. I can pay for for sell by owners. I can pay for neighborhood searches. Okay. 
I'll just, I'll just go to circle one mile from this house and then we call them and invite them to the open house. And that's through Mojo? Mm -hmm. I mean, invitations to open houses, how freaking easy is that? Like somebody's afraid to make a call, just do that one. It's, well, ever, ever, I tell everybody, when you're scared to call somebody, it's because you're trying to sell them. Give them some value. Thank you. Say that again. When you're afraid to call somebody. You're not giving enough value. Right. You're just, when you're afraid of rejection, it's because you're trying, you're trying to sell them. You're not giving enough. Absolutely. If you're calling somebody to give them something, there's no fear in that. Absolutely. I can call and let you know, uh, hey, Jerry, you're probably going to see a few more cars in your neighborhood this weekend. We're doing one of our mega open houses and we're probably going to have 30 to 40 people it's from one to three. So don't be alarmed if you see a lot of people in your neighborhood. That tells them several things. First of all, it tells me I gave them some value. I let them know what was going on. And then it tells them, wow, they do a lot for their clients. They sell a lot of houses. They do everything they say they're going to do. And that's all subconscious, but it's all in the back of their head. And they're like, okay, thank you. And when it's time to sell their house, like who's that guy who did the open house and had like 30 people here? Yeah. You know, that's the mindset they have. But it's all for come to a value standpoint. And when you do that, do you have a system to stay in front of those people? Well, well, they get a they get a letter or a, a postcard when it gets listed. They get a call for the open house, or when it's just listed, they get a call for the open house. They get a postcard when it goes under contract. Then we'll circle back around if we have other buyers. So yeah, we we got a pretty good system around that. Which goes to me, you guys are in a big market, but that when you're specializing in a neighborhood and area, it makes it easy to just like compound on that on that business and those activities that you're doing. Absolutely. If, if you're niched down, I mean, it's, you can create a relationship with everybody there. So and the it, inside, the, and I know we've got a thousand questions, but the inside, you've got inside salespeople and buyer's agents. And I think you're kind of evolving into inside salespeople. So whose job is it really to make all these calls? Is it inside salespeople and the buyer's agents or really the inside salespeople? The buyers, the buyer's agents still make calls. They're calling the warm leads. If, if I call Jerry, if I call Jerry for 15 days straight and don't get an answer, I send them to the ISAs. Gotcha. So the leads they're producing are cold, dead leads that you would have not called in the beginning anyway. So they're reliving, they're reviving dead leads coming up because I've called them for three weeks. So why would I keep calling them? No answer. And they're going to call them until they, till they answer. That's what inside salespeople do. Yeah. This is great. And then the, the Zillow leads, the Boomtown leads, the other leads you're funneling in, those go to the buyer's agents. Yep. Buyer's agents get first, uh, the first first crack at them. If they're a qualified lead, the buyer's agents go ahead and take that. The inside salespeople are making other calls to generate more leads to feed over to the buyer's agents. Yes. Yes. The listing manager. Now you get a listing lead that goes to you, the listing man, the listing, um, agent. Goes to the listing agent. Okay. And the listing agent. And, uh, then he'll work that. Then as soon as it gets like to a position to where they're wanting to list, the listing manager comes over. And our listing agent has been in the business for 25 years. He was a team leader at Keller Williams. Like he's the, I mean, like everybody loves him. He's like the cowboy of real estate. Like everybody like loves him. And he can say the exact same thing. I, I'm like the ultimate closure. Like I know what to say to get you to say yes. But I can tell, he, I can tell you the same thing that he's going to tell you. And you're going to appreciate him for telling you that. And it's just, just the way he is. Like I could tell you this facts and you're like, okay, but he could tell you and you'd be like, I really understand that. Thank you. And you're like, he said the exact same thing I did, but he's just got that personality. Wow. But people are receptive to him. And, and it, the, the reason it was I hired people, not, not positions. He was the perfect person because he's been in the business 25 years. He's been run to death. So yeah. I, here's what I need from you. 
I said, I will, I will pay you, you know, 25% commission. And this is what you do. This is your leverage. This is who's going to be supporting you. And he goes, that would be perfect for me. And that's the guy going to the listing appointments. Yep. Yep. Brilliant. Yep. I love it. All right. So summing up what's important to you. So now you talking about operations, your team, your structure. I mean, really insightful. Everybody listening to this is going, okay, so what about you? What do your days look like? You love to, you're a passionate person. You're about leading and about learning. Tell us a little bit about you, what, how, how you cultivate this to be, to fulfill what you're best at. And what is that? My days start at 420. Like I get up at 420 and I am in the gym by 530. So I'm in, I, I'm doing jujitsu or lifting weights from 530 to like seven. I try to get to the office by eight. And anytime I'm in a vehicle, I am listening to the podcast. I'm listening to books. I'm doing something to educate myself. The TV doesn't come on. The radio does not come on. And I'm constantly learning to, to elevate myself. And then I work. And, and what I'm passionate about at work is if, if I bring you in my, under my umbrella, my job is to make you succeed. That's it. When, when I tell you to make 24 deals a year, I need this amount of calls. And when you tell me you want to make 50, I double all the numbers. And I've got to, and then now I'm, now I'm holding Jerry accountable to, to 250 calls a week now because that's your goal. That's not mine. And, and I, I, uh, I even calmed an agent down. She's like, I want to do 50 deals this year. I'm like, absolutely not. I was like, you need to do 30 deals. That's why I was like, I was like, you're married. You've got three kids. I was like, we have to have a balance for you. I was like, and 50 deals is not a balance for you. And, and it's like, you can see it in her face. And it's like, I really appreciate that. And it's like, because it's not about me, me running an agent to death. It's about me accelerating somebody's life. And now our culture is gets stronger and it gets better. And that's what excites me. I mean, I'm, I'm, I think I'm mentoring and I'm educating and I'm creating lives for people who normally, I would think, would, wouldn't have that opportunity. Yeah. So I'm able to do that throughout with that. That's awesome. Accelerating their life. It's not just about the deal. It's about their life. Yeah, it's about, I mean, they're offering to me and I'm offering to them. Let's say that again. You went out I'm giving an offering to them and they're giving an offering to me. It's like, it's my job when, and I take it serious when somebody comes to me and they're like, this is what I want in life. And, and, our, and our alignments match. It's my job to make sure they succeed. And, and the accountability, the accountability is rough. Uh, I want to grow my business, but I want, don't want to grow with everybody. I want to grow with people who want to grow with me. I want people who want to, to sit with me at my table and, and understand that that's the reason they're getting there. Wow. I want to grow with people who want to grow with me. And who count, you talked about accountability and they know where they want to go and they want to get there together. Does that yeah. Accountability is the highest form of, uh, of affection. If, if I didn't call you and ask you to work out every morning, like, I don't love you. I don't care for you. You know what I mean? It's like accountability, true accountability, not accountability to say, I told you so, but accountability because I want Jerry to get up and work out every morning. I want Jerry to drink her green juice that I want Jerry to make her 200 calls. That type of accountability is the, is the highest, uh, highest level of affection because I want the result of you want. Let me help you do that. And a lot of people look at accountability. It's like, I don't want to be told what to do. Like, mm -hmm. if you're doing what you're supposed to do to hit your goals, you're not going to have to. You're not going to worry about it. But exactly. So there's a talk we talked a lot about, and we're gonna we're gonna be, we're gonna do about 10 more minutes. 
you talked about earning things versus, you know, a lot of people don't want to be told what to do. You've got to earn it. What does that mean? How do you, how do you know when somebody's earned it? And as a person, how do you know when you've earned it? As far as I've earned it, I will never probably feel like I've ever earned it. Uh, if you, you would have told me where I would be now, six, seven, eight years ago, I'd be like, wow, perfect. Got it. I've made it. And now I can only think about where I want to be now. Like it was a, I thought this was the goal, but once I got here, I'm like, this is just starting. I'll never be satisfied. So I'll never feel like I earn it. But as far as for the people that I work with and I mentor that, 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 are, part, that are part of my team, and it's not my team, it's our team. It's a, they're a part of our team. It's how can, when they earn it by, by going above and beyond, we, we, we hand a trophy out every Monday morning of somebody who has no monetary value that does nothing to do with sales of who went above and beyond as a person that week for the team. And we try to reward that. And, and we have one guy, I mean, he, he comes in and he, he shows up early. He helps with everybody. He's the one, the first one to volunteer to show somebody else's house. And he's going to sell 40 to 50 deals this year. Like he's like, we had a, we had an agent call to see one of our luxury listings. And she's like, I don't have time to come down there, but I've got a buyer down there. Like basically means you're not getting any paid anything. And he, Glenn's like, I'll do it because it's for the best thing for the team. Wow. And it's, yeah. So we've got a great atmosphere because that's, that's how you earn it with us. It's you, you do, you do what you say and you say what you do. Oh, there you go. Nailed it. All right. Let's go on the final three questions. Number one, what have you found as your biggest resource in getting you where you are today? Education. Hundred percent. There's there's no reason for you not to know anything right now. You can go to Google. You can go to YouTube. You have coaches, mentors, geniuses everywhere. I have committed myself to learning. Uh, like I said, I, about one book a week. I'm either read or listening to, and and that'll snowball into different things. Of this is where I need to be. Then it'll snowball into different coaches or different types of programs for me to be able to accelerate. People want to focus on their strengths because they want to ignore where they're weak. Mm-hmm. And, what they call it, a chain is only as strong as its weakest link. It's the same thing as a sword. If you're dull in a spot, that's where that that's where the sword is going to break. Like you need to be sharp everywhere. I am just smart enough to know where I'm not good at. Like I'm not I'm not a smart person, but I'm just smart enough to know where I'm not good at. So when I hire that, that makes my sword sharp, even though it's not me, but it's part of my organization. So I focus on the organization, not just me. So. Actually, it's education, leveraging, and focusing on your organization, not just you. Absolutely. Books. I mean, I'm, I'm going to ask you for one, but then I want a few more because you are such a reader. I mean, reading a book every week. What is, of all these books, what is the one book that's changed your life? That we have to read. Extreme Ownership. Extreme Ownership. By Jocko Willink. He's... It's basically like the entire book is no matter what happens to you in life, until you accept it, you can't move past it. Oh, no matter what yeah. it is. If, yeah. if you walked around the corner and somebody punched you in the mouth, you need to accept ownership that you should not have been there at that time. And until you do, you can't, uh, you can't move past it. And if you're always looking in the rear view, you're never going where you need to go. Oh, that is, that's some good advice for all of us. And this, he's a Navy SEAL yeah. man, Jocko Willing. So he's like, a, when he talks, like if you listen to the audible, when he talks, like, 
I mean, I'm a masculine guy, but I shut up and listen. I mean, that's how masculine this guy is when he talks. I mean, he just got that voice and it's, and he's talking about stories that, that happened when he was in, in Iraq and in Ramadi and all that stuff. And it's, and he, he converts it. This happened. This is a Navy SEAL principle that happened. And this is how I used it like in business. Cause now he's a consultant of echelon front is his business. And he consults big businesses now with, with the Navy SEAL principles. Oh, wow. I can't wait to read that. Great one. Ultimate, extreme ownership. It all comes down to owning it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think if we look at our lives and when we actually like came out of something or broke through something, it was never because somebody else came in and rescued us unless it was helping us see ownership of our own stuff. So you made a decision. Back to accountability in your team and culture. All right, give us a, any other books we should know about. Extreme ownership is the one. If you're not offended easy, uh, can't hurt me. Can't by, hurt me. By David Goggins. If you're offended easy, like don't don't, don't go around that book. Uh, he was another uh, Navy SEAL, but he's also he's the world chin up record. He's got like, I mean, thousands of chin ups in 24 hours, uh, push ups, and he runs ultra marathons. Like this is the like the man's man. Grew up in uh, a very uh, rural area as a uh, as an African American, like and had everything against him. But like he's he's prevailed so big, and he talks about like stories in his life about him being a three hundred pound overweight person who one day just as drinking a milkshake decided he wanted to be a Navy SEAL and did it. And he had to go through like the training camp. You know they say buds is like the worst thing you can go through. He like had to go through it like four times before he finally got through it. We never would quit. Just resilient, and like and his story is pretty remarkable. But if, but if you're offended easy, you don't like language. Don't, don't can't hurt me. Don't go near that one. Yeah. All right. So can't hurt me. Extreme ownership is the one. And then what, I think you said a third one. Can't hurt me. And what was the other one? Uh, I talked about that one. Uh, can't hurt me. Extreme ownership. I, the, the other one I've been reading a lot is that the book that you recommend. Uh, which one? Which one? Chris Voss. Never split the difference. Yeah. I'm oh, a changer. Yeah. Great book. Yeah. All right, last question. If there's one thing that we better take away from this interview, if we're just going to forget everything else, what should we remember? You need to own everything that happens in your life. Uh, like extreme ownership, like everything that happens in your business. If you hired a bad agent that was, that was you, that wasn't the agent. If that agent said the wrong thing, that was because you didn't train that agent to do things. If you can accept if you can accept ownership and everything that happens in your business, you'll be able to improve it. But as long as you're passing the buck and you're not accepting it, like you're never going to improve it. You're just pushing another problem underneath the rug that's going to be found again. Oh, and it's going to be worse the next time. Absolutely. Like if you step over an anthill and you turn around, it's a mountain every time. Like you you squash the anthills as you go by them. Awesome. Thank you so much, Tom. Thank you. Whatever day. Good to see you. Good to see you.